Welcome to the Candid Frame. This is Martin Taylor with the horrible transatlantic accent. Not the dulcet radio voice of Ibarinex that you were expecting. But don't touch that dial, because coming up we have a special episode where we're turning the tables on our usual host. I'm usually the editor of the show, but while Ibarinex was visiting for a few days, we took advantage of the opportunity to give Ibarinex a taste of his own medicine. Ibarinex is a photographer, writer, educator, and the host of the Candid Frame Photography Podcast for the past five years. It's with great pleasure that we welcome Ibarinex to the interviewee's seat this week. We always hear your voice on the show, but we don't get to hear your side of the story that much. And you've been the power behind keeping this show going. And it's unusual or it's not a common format amongst podcasts and things to have this kind of show where it's more about the art and less about the craft or about the technology. So what keeps you going or what started you on this path and keeps you going now? The the reason I started the show and the reason I continue doing the show is 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 all about a very selfish reason. It's because there are certain things that I feel I need to hear to help me in my own journey as as a creative person, be it as a photographer or a writer. So when I started listening to podcasts. I think I was really at a point where I really needed to hear something. And even though I was working at a magazine and interviewing photographers and, and talking to them about their work, the discussion often revolved about selling equipment. It was, it was still about equipment and gear and technique. Yeah. And even though I, I would try to invest some of that, the story about the why into the articles, unfortunately, most of it had to be something other than what I would like it to be. I didn't have really control over it. No. And the show provided me the means to be able to make the conversation about exactly what I wanted to talk about, which was about creativity, about how do you make a life, whether you're a professional photographer or whether you're an amateur, how do you make the thing you love more part of your life? And for me, it was it was a challenge then, and it's a it's even more of a challenge now, even though I work for myself now. So the show for me ultimately is is about nurturing myself. Right. And the only difference is now there's an audience to it. So there are people all over the world who listen to the show for pretty much the very same reason why I create the show. It's because I'm I'm hoping that the conversations are gonna reveal some insight that's gonna help me in, in, in my journey. And more often than not, I'd hear exactly that. Yeah. I think when you're starting out as a photographer, quite often you're always looking for that secret tip or that secret piece of equipment. You think if you just get the next camera, this lens, a specific lens, you learn how to do this specific thing, that suddenly you'll have the answer. And I think you're pursuing more the creative whys of why these people are doing these things. And there's no specific answer, but you're you're trying to find what drives those people. Yeah, because I know there is no specific answer. I've, I've, I'm done with worrying about the equipment. I'm, I'm so done with that. Yeah. Even though I, you know, like playing with the latest toys, I'm at a point in my life that, I, I don't fixate on it too much. I like handling the new piece of 
camera equipment or shooting with it. But I feel like I have so little time that what I really want to spend time with is something that's going to allow me to get out and not just shoot. I don't, I don't think it's so much. I just want to, I don't want to just go out and make photographs just for the sake of making photographs. I want to make a certain type of photograph. Right. I want to feel like I'm saying something every time I go up and make images because I think, I think at some point when you've been doing this long enough, you are technically savvy enough or expert have enough experience and expertise enough to be able to make a good photograph. And the question becomes, can you make a photograph that's actually saying something? Right. Can you make a photograph that actually has an idea or a concept behind it that makes it more than just that it's sharp, well-exposed and well-composed? Yeah. Because, you know, we both look at tens of thousands of photographs. And I think the photographs that make us excited is something that's beyond just the technical. It's a point of view. Right. You know, and I, I look at the I look at the prints that you and Patty have in this house, and I see the books that you have, and the images and the photographs and the photographers that get you excited are people that make you feel something about those images that yeah. resonate with you. You take a look at them, and you get excited about seeing and about your own photography. Yeah. And the challenge for me is, can I go out and make those kind of images for myself? So right now, the show, the the people that I talk to, the photographs that I look at, are all in pursuit of whether or not I can go out with a camera, regardless of what camera it is and make a picture that creates that experience for me yeah, and for the people who take a look at the photographs. And I think that's, that's a huge challenge. It's very intimidating yeah, to think about it under those, those terms, but I, I kind of welcome the challenge though. I, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm meeting the challenge as often as, as I would like. I think a lot of us feel the same way about our own work. I think it's hard to be objective about it. But you just mentioned seeing pictures that have something to say. And we've talked about this before, where when you're looking through a bunch of images on the internet, I was talking about you can flick through a lot of images on Pinterest or Flickr. There's a lot of images out there that have visual impact. They, they're sharp, they're graphic, they can be beautiful, but they're empty. The images you're talking about, the images from great photographers, the ones that just burned into your psyche forever, those images, uh, they have a certain something. Now, you've obviously thought about this quite a bit. Can you put your finger on it at all? How you identify an image from somebody else that you feel has something to say? And then how do you apply that to your own work? When I think of photographers, like I think of Bill Allard, William Allard, William Albert Allard, who I interviewed, I think, over, a little more than a year ago. And yeah. he's a photographer whose work for National Geographic was always an inspiration for me. You look at that, his images, and he does amazing stuff with color. That was always something that kind of resonated with me because I saw him doing things with color and with Kodachrome at the time and with the equipment that he was using, which was primarily like 35 millimeter focal lengths, yeah. 50 millimeter. And he was always working very simply, but there was something in his images that really resonated with me. He did a story on minor league baseball for National Geographic. Right. And that essay was just remarkable for me to take a look at. I remember picking up that issue and just looking at those images and just going, wow, wow, wow. Because he really captured the essence of what minor league baseball was. It wasn't just about the sport. Right. It was the community, the people, the beauty of it. 
And I felt that those images really spoke to me because they told a story, but they did it with a real sensitivity to this sort of aesthetic beauty of a single photograph. Yeah. He has this photograph in that series of an old man eating a corn dog. And it has this yellow stripe of mustard running down the length of it. But it's shot with this late afternoon light. So this guy is facing into this waning light of the day, which has this warmth on it. And you don't see his eyes, if I can remember the photograph correctly, because the bill of his hat is turned down. But the hat is like this blue. So you have these yellows, these blues. You have the warmth of his, of his skin. You have the detail of the skin. And then you have this gorgeous light illuminating it. And I looked at that shot, and it was, wow, look at how something so common, so ordinary, yeah. is made remarkable by the choice of composition, by the quality of the light, by the attention of detail. And I think that that shot and many of his photographs and a lot of the photographs that really resonate with me are shots that take the most common, ordinary situation and use all those elements of composition, of light, of exposure, of focal length, and make something extraordinary with it and make something remarkable that make me look at it and go, I have seen that scene a countless mm -hmm. number of times in my lifetime. But this photographer, this person was able to raise the camera within a fraction of a second, make something that gets me excited about the ordinary. Yeah. That's what that's at, at the heart of what I always want to do with a photograph. I know when I'm on the street, I want to take something that's completely ordinary that people right. walk by all the time and make that photograph where all of a sudden they go, wow. I mean, I know that a lot of photographers go to great destinations. They go to Paris or they go mm -hmm. to Yosemite and they make these amazing pictures of these sort of picturesque locations. And for me, I have a great admiration for that kind of work. But for me, the challenge has always been about how do I make the ordinary extraordinary? Yeah. When I think about why that's important to me, I think part of it lies in the fact that when I grew up in Los Angeles, I grew up in South L.A., and my world I never saw represented in television. Right. I never saw represented in magazines. I felt like wonderful things happened to people who looked and lived differently than I did. Mm -hmm. And that was always, in some ways, a, not a painful thing, but yeah. it was disappointment. Yeah. I always wanted to be somebody else. I always wanted to be somewhere else. And I think that my pursuit, whether it's with words or with a photograph, is to somehow lay claim to my life and my the world that I live in and be able to say... It is special. Yeah. It is extraordinary. Yeah. It is worth of it's worthy of attention. And it's a dawning challenge, I think, because I feel I feel some responsibility right. to be able to do that yeah. because I think a lot of people live in the same world that I do and they're somehow made to feel that it isn't special. Right. And I think that's sort of the impetus of why I'm so driven to make photographs of the subject matter that I choose to photograph often and the places that I go to, to photograph. So right. I think a lot of the photographers you've had on, they care deeply about those works that stick with us. Do you think that you have to know your subject or care about it to really be able to tell its story? No. But I feel like if you want to make photographs that mean something, you do. Yeah. I think if you don't care and you're not passionate about whatever subject matter you're photographing, you'll make technically beautiful competent photographs that will sell 
that will get published in magazines that find their way in books and they make you a career in photography. But the photographers that I interview, who I, I, I love talking to, are people who not only love their photography, but love what they photograph. Or if not love what they photograph, are, are passionate about it in some way. Connected to Connected it. Connected to it. I mean, yeah. we had Gerd Ludwig, who has been doing this work in Russia, in yeah. Chernobyl. And he knows that subject matter, unlike most other photographers that are out there. He has a definitely a point of view and an opinion about the events that have happened there, not only at the, the you know revolving around the nuclear disaster, but then you got Douglas Kirkland, yeah, and who's friends with Gerd, right? And they both share a similar passion for for the camera, but Douglas loves the people he photographs, even if he's never met them before. He loves them. Yeah. He cares about them. Yeah. And he and he uses the camera to s say something about how he feels about them. You know, I could go about that with a lot of the photographers that we've that I've talked to. Yeah. You know, Joel, you have Joe Meyerwitch, Jay Mazel, all of those people in one way or another, they love photography, but I think what drove their passion and their love of photography was what it allowed them to say about themselves about the things that they photograph in their own lives. Right. I think that the photographers who create a photographic life that is sustained over decades have that in common. Right. Have that in common. Because I know there are photog I know photographers who've had careers over twenty or thirty years. Yeah. But don't necessarily feel this way about about it. It's a job. Right. You yeah. Know, it's work for them. Yeah. So, you know, they don't want to talk about work. No. They don't want to talk about you know, what they did or what they shot or, you know, they're, they're more concerned with other things and that's, that's not wrong. No. You know, but, but there's something for me about talking to someone who's as in love with what they're doing 30 years later as someone who just picked it up last week. Right. And there's a magic there and it's like, I want me some of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. want me some of that in, 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 in my life and it's the pursuit of that. Yeah. We talked about it today yeah. in terms of while getting up in the morning going, man, I get to do what I love today. Right. Yeah. And and for me now, that's not just photography. It's this show. Right. So for me, anytime I have the opportunity to, you know, fire up the the Zoom or, yeah. or, or launch Skype and have a chance to talk to someone, wow, I, I'm really excited. I'm really grateful for the, what the show gives me, not just my photography, but what it does for me to be able to talk with people who I admire, who I respect uh, and learn something from them and share it with thousands of people all over the world. It just blows my mind that right now there's somebody right. listening to this in their car and they're in Great Britain. Yeah. They're in Asia. They're in South America. They're in the Philippines. They're at work. You know, wherever they are there, wherever they are listening to my voice right now, they feel the same way about whatever it is they're doing in right. some way. Yeah. And they're feeling as much frustration as I am sometimes and, you know, regret, you know, disappointment, but they're also have this desire to go, I want something more. It's the pursuit of that. Yeah. That drives my photography, that drives my passion for the show. And the question is, how do I make that happen more so that it is, it's not the, it's not the exception, it's the rule. Right. And I think that's the, the, the great pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to that in a second. But uh, when you're creating it, the images or when you're editing the images, it, is there a, a moment when 
you realize that the shot you took is the one is it's great is something that you've you you know when you press the shutter or when you see it in on lightroom is there some moment where you think yeah that's i'm I'm saying what i meant to say and i'm saying it the way i wanted to say it most times i know when i make it sometimes i know it before i've made it yeah i mean that's when it's really really happening there's that one shot that i showed you of the i shot in uh, downtown los angeles with the there's a guy who's walking in front of the camera there's a guy who's eating there's a little boy in the frame and there's like yeah. this this figure looks like a chef with a chef's hat yes. in there yeah and there i saw all the elements yeah and i composed my shot and i just waited for someone to walk into the frame and as soon as that guy walked into the frame and i made the shot i knew i had it yeah i knew i had a layered composition which is something i'm always trying to pursue now in my photography right but i i i knew it that's not often that it no. that happens. I know when I've made a good shot, right? A lot of the time, yeah. and sometimes those shots are revealed to me to the extent that oh, I can make this a better shot when I bring right. it into Lightroom, right? But those moments where it's that rush, where yeah. where your heart skips a beat when you feel like I've done something different, that's not common. We talked about that the other day, and we're, when you get to a certain technical and creative level it's easy to go out and make a good shot you can come back you're sort of reasonably happy with it but you're using something from your bag of tricks that is something you're using almost as like an affect or something we're talking about about the shot where it's easy to go in tight and get things very graphically within the frame the rule of everything in the rule of thirds perfectly everything parallel to the frame lines perfectly it's somebody in exactly in the, one of the intersection points but it but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a great success like you were talking about that one shot that's layered and probably breaks a lot of rules about yeah. what a great shot is but as you said it works when you see it and you obviously it worked when you took it so when you go out shooting how do you push past taking the easy shot you know will work and look for the for the great shot that's hard and it's something i've been struggling with i was looking at my i was I was just finished writing this book on the 5D yeah. Mark Mark III. And so part of that involved me going through all of my images to see if I had some images that could illustrate a particular point. And as a result of going through all the photographs, I got to be really painfully aware about how I was making images that were good, but that I'd done before. Yeah. And then I would go out there and I would make these photographs but I was making the same photographs over and over again, or some variations on the theme, and that I really wasn't challenging myself at all. And then there were some images that I took during uh, Eric Kim's street photography workshop last year. And one of the choices that I made there was to use a wide angle. I was using a 24-millimeter lens or something along those lines. And almost immediately I realized that I couldn't be at the same distance as I was normally with a 50 or around that focal length range and make an effective photograph. I had to get closer. And I mean close. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I would be, you know, less than 12 inches from my subject, sometimes right. a person, sometimes not. And those photographs had a completely different dynamic to them. Right. That really excited me. And I realized that one of the things that was missing from my photographs was that immediacy. Right. And that I needed to do more of that. I needed to shoot more with wide angle focal lengths and force myself to get closer. Yeah. Because whatever was missing from my photographs 
was not just a result of the difference in focal length. And yeah. It wasn't just about the distance of the camera to the subject. Right. It was something that happened with me getting into that proximity with my subject. Yeah. And experiencing it and seeing it differently. Right. I can't, you know, be quite honest with you, I haven't been doing that enough since I've done that, largely because I've made other things priorities, like making a living and, yeah. you know, writing books, writing magazine <laughs> articles, teaching that when I have gone out there, it's not been about that. I've found myself going back to that place where it's comfortable, where right. I know I can get a consistent result. And it's like trying to say, okay, you don't have permission to do that anymore. Right. No. And you, I know you teach photography part of making a living it seems like it would be it's easier to teach how to obey the rule of thirds it's less easy to like encourage somebody unless you're going out there and shooting with them side by side how to shoot wide and close because we also were talking about how you know when to like break the rules and leave loads of space around your subject like a lot of modern the modern aesthetic seems to be just to give it like lots of breathing room but what i think is it's not you know for me it's getting wide and close yeah but for you it's something else completely yeah and for someone else it's something else differently and trying to figure out what that is i think we all know it yeah at some innate level when when we take a look at our photographs we know that there's something missing there and the only choice is to do something different and usually it's simple. It's like, yeah. okay, just use a single focal length. Right. Or, you know, you only do verticals or you only, you do something that's different, that's uncomfortable. Right. That you're resistant to doing. It's like, if you have some pushback to doing it, it's probably the very <laughs> thing you should be doing. Yeah. I recognize it. I know that it's there, but then it's putting the fire underneath my butt to say, okay, I'm going to go out today for an hour and do just that. Yeah, and sometimes tough. it's like, well, like I can make some money by making doing this magazine article or yeah. do something else. And I make excuses for not going out there because I'm part of me is go, is is feeling I aspire to this, but I'm afraid of failing. Yeah, I'm afraid of even though no one else is going to see the photographs, but yeah. me. Yeah, I still feel like, oh my god, I'm going to go out there, and maybe I'm not as good a photographer as I'd like to think I am. Right. And if I don't have to make the images, I never have to confront right the right. truth or the or the lie of that. But we all have those days where we go out and we shoot and sometimes you think you've done well and you get back and you're very disappointed or but sometimes you just it's just soul destroying you go out you you know you haven't got anything you hardly even want to like empty the card into your yeah computer. but for me you know I I have those those feelings and those doubts and those things that sort of keep me from going out there but once I'm out there and I start shooting yeah I enjoy myself yes so. If, even if I don't make the photograph that I was wanting to, I went out there and made photographs. I yeah. was out there practicing seeing. I was enjoying enjoying what I was doing. And I think that's far more important than whether or not I came away with a great right. great shot. Yes, I want to challenge myself. Yes, I want to do something different. But more importantly, I want to get the hell out of the office. Yeah. I want to get out of this space where I'm not doing what I love to do, where right. I get to enjoy my life for a change. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be on my deathbed going, God, I wish I'd written one more article. <laughs> and I wish I'd published just a, a, another book. I mean, I'm going to have other things that I'm going to be thinking about. You know, right. did, I, did I have fun? Did I enjoy my time with my family and my friends? Yeah. And as far as my creative life is, is did I enjoy it while I was doing it? Right. And for me, that's that's much more, that's more, much more the question. I mean, I like 
getting home, yeah, launching Lightroom, looking at the pictures, tweaking them, and having the satisfaction of knowing that I got it. But being out there, yeah, that for me is so much more important, and I don't do that often enough. But I think everybody, everybody can say that. Even people who are working professionals right. aren't shooting most of the time. But I think I think we we both know working professionals who seem to have lost the passion for photography. They're, they're shooting maybe weddings or corporate work, and they just it is a job to them. But a lot of the people you've hunted out and talked to on your show, but most of them, they they all seem to keep that childlike way to see and that the passion for photography. We talked a little bit about it. Even when, you, when you're trying to pursue a creative life or a photographic life, how do you, like, keep doing that when you have to pay the bills sometimes and you have to like do those yeah. other things. I, I was, I was with Dan Winters down in Austin, Texas at his studio for, for about four or five days. I saw him, a man who has an amazing career as a photographer, as yeah. an illustrator doing all these things, who has a career that a lot of people sort of dream of. And I looked at him and he has the passion. He has the talent but the one thing he has that a lot of people don't have is is the commitment to keep his promises to his, himself in terms of being creative. Every day, he has something to be creative about. If it's not a photograph, it's a drawing. If it's not a drawing, it's an illustration. If it's not that, he's building something. So part of his day is being creative in one way or another. It's not always the same thing, but he's doing something that he enjoys doing. And, and he's he's constantly busy. Yeah. Um, he's busy every day. He always has a deadline to meet with something or other. But every day he's creating. Right. And I think that's – if there's any secret, it's that you have to find something that you create every day. It can't be burdened by logistics. And by that I mean – it can't be, well, the only time I can create yeah. is when I have my camera and I get to go over there. Right. And unless I can go over there, I can't make pictures and I can't be creative. Because all of a sudden, all the things that can possibly serve as an obstacle will actually manifest themselves as that. For example, for me, it's the iPhone. Yeah, yes. I can be creative with the iPhone. I don't even have to leave my house. Right. I can walk around my kitchen or walk around my yard or take a walk with my dog. Yeah. And take that thing and start making photographs. It may be only three or four photographs that day, but I made some pictures. I right. practiced seeing. I did something. Uh, I'm not much of a drawer. I can write, but it's like, okay, what can I commit to today that will allow me to practice yeah. this? And... That's something that I learned from watching him. Yeah. Because you, you see how prolific he is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And the quality of the work is, is fantastic. But I think it's, he has such a huge body of work, which people have no idea what the size of the body of work that he has right. and the quality level of it. But the only reason he has all of that is because he kept a daily commitment to himself to be creative. And that's how that happens. If you only say that I can only be creative on the weekends or once a month or when I get together with my, you know, with my photo buddies, then you're never going to have that kind of body of work. Yeah, you, you'll you have nice pictures. You'll have good photographs. You may even, 
even be able to put together a portfolio. But the thing is that you will never have the experience that you dream of having because you're not doing it today. If you're waiting for if I'm waiting, I'll just speak for myself. If I'm waiting for these circumstances to change or for something to be different, it's never going to happen. Today was my opportunity to make some pictures. Did I make any pictures today? No. Right. That's my fault. Yeah, yeah. I'm responsible for being able to say that all these other things that I made the priority today could have been put in, could I have taken that care of that stuff later? Yes, I could certainly have taken. Yeah. I could have taken a break an hour and just said, okay, I'm going to go and walk around this neighborhood that I'm not familiar with at all and just make some photographs. Yeah. But I said, no, I need to get this outline yeah. done. <laughs> And so I spent most of my day doing doing this outline. Is it important? Yes, it's yeah. important. It's going to allow me to produce this product that is going to be able to help people and serve people and help pay my pay my mortgage and do all that yeah. stuff. But was it worth sacrificing an hour today to not do what I love to do? Right. And the answer to that is no. Right. But I I can justify it. Yeah. Yeah. I can certainly justify it, but I can justify it every day. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that. I need to make that hour more valuable to me in terms of me doing what I want to do yeah. and not give myself permission to make the excuse to do it. And it's it's easier said than done, but it's something that's it's constantly on my mind as of late because right. I'm realizing that I'm not it's not that I'm wasting time. No. It's just not I'm not using the time to do something for myself. Right. Amongst musicians a, a, a real musician is never going to go through a day without practicing. Even if they've not got a performance coming up or something, they to keep their chops, they have to practice every day. You know, a, a concert pianist is not going to take a break. And a lot of photographers, as you say, they wait for the weekend or they wait for their vacation or something like that. And how do you force yourself to do it even when you don't want to? You know, I, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with the question. I'd rather respond to the question I thought you were oh, going to answer. Go for it, yeah. Because I, I think that part of the delusion that I and I think a lot of other ha- people have in terms of thinking that they're doing something with the photography is because they think that that time in front of the computer is making them better photographers. Right. I feel like, okay, I'm going, learning Lightroom, I'm doing these things these wonderful things with my images and that ends up taking a lot of time, but it's not necessarily making me a better photographer. Right. But I feel that I'm dedicating this time to my photography. Right. So therefore I'm okay with it. And the reality is no, that's not improving me as a photographer. Right. Yeah. I can do all these wonderful things and making these images and make these prints and post them up and, you know, get people's reaction to the images. But that's really not making me a better photographer. That's the end result. Right. And because it's so much easier than having to go into a dark room. Yeah. And because everyone is talks so much about what happens on the computer that it seems that the actual act of going out and making the photograph is just basically getting raw material so that the real work can happen on the computer. And I think that's ass backwards. Right. Although we were talking about the other day, we we're talking about, uh, you have to be able to develop your eye to be able to not to, when we're talking about editing, I'm talking about not going into Photoshop and tweaking individual image, but looking at all those pictures that you took and seeing the one, and it's not your own work. It's like, 
Uh, I know a lot of magazines are getting rid of picture editors and things like that. And it seems to be, they seem to be relying on photographers to be their own picture editors these days where you don't have that luxury of objectivity always. You're looking at your own work. You've still got emotions associated with it. And yet you've got to find the image that tells that story. Yeah, yeah. we were talking about the whole idea of, of being able to edit your work, about being able to look at your photographs and figure out what you're doing. Yeah. What is it? What are the ideas and the themes that you keep returning to over and over and over again? What is it that you're responding to? What is it that you're finding yourself caring about? And yes, the computer is one of the ways of being able to do that. And yeah. it's not about massaging the images as yeah. so much people focus on. It's about taking a look at the work and being able to go through it and realize not just which image is good and which one image is bad, but it's looking at these photographs and making sense of it. Yeah. Seeing what is the, th what is the connective tissue that links all these photographs that I consider my best photographs and what makes them resonate? Yeah. What makes them valuable to me and possibly to somebody else? And that's an important practice that I think most people don't, don't have. And that's one of the things I like. That's one of the things I love teaching because I feel yeah. like I've gotten to be a really good editor by looking at other people's photographs and by right. working in the magazines and the books. And, yeah. And, and that's something that I actively. And you were uh, talking about a, a great exercise that you had yeah. to work with people trying to work out what they should be concentrating on or what their work was saying. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I, I don't know how easy it's going to be to describe this over yeah. a podcast, but what I t typically do in my class um, at Art Center and that I'm going to be doing at this class that I teach at the Julia Dean uh, Photographic Workshop in, I think it's October, is this, this exercise where I have the photographers bring in 24 four by six prints. Yeah. And I have them lay out on the table and I tell them to come up with three individual words that represent the ideas or the themes that they think sort of encapsulates their photography. If it's their body of work, then what are the three descriptive adjectives that capture that? Or if it's a, a, a personal project, what are yeah. the three words that sort of represent that? And I ask them to use very descriptive words right. and the more descriptive, the, the better. And then the exercise is, okay, we're going to take these 24 pictures and we're going to edit it down to eight. Yeah. They start off with picking the first image, which represents all three of those ideas that best represents those three of the ideas. And that's the, the first image. So imagine you're laying out a portfolio yeah. of eight photographs. So you have that first image. Okay. Now what is the last image of this portfolio that represents all those three ideas? That's going to be the last image they're going to see in, in the book. And then you have the first image and the last image. And then the process from there is to look at the pairs of images that yeah. you would imagine would face each other on an open page yeah, and go, okay, here's now, now we're going to choose the second image based on those three ideas. And then when you have that, that second image, the third image at that point, you can start thinking about the relationship of that third image to the second one. Right. So imagine they're going to be on a facing page. So you're still thinking about those ideas, but you're also seeing what possibilities can happen in terms of how those two images interplay with each other. And sometimes you can find two images that you felt would never work together on the page that would have no relationship to each other. Yeah. All of a sudden there's a contrast or there's a, there's an energy that happens. Right. And two images, one could be a portrait and the other thing could be a complete inanimate object that has nothing to do with that first but all of a sudden you look at them together and you go, wow, yes. look at that. There's something <laughs> happening here. And so we go through this whole thing that by the end of it, you have eight images 
all that are tied into this idea or this theme or these concepts that you feel like you are addressing. And hopefully you have an edit that is as tight and as effective a body of work as the 24 images that started off. Yeah. And so what I usually find is when we get down to those eight images, there's a clarity of vision that's happening there that wasn't happening with the 35, with the 36, right. with the 100 images. Yeah. And that I usually refer to as the core. So I could put those images up on my wall and say, okay, that's my core. Yeah. And then any images that I add to that have to be as equally as good, if not better. And tied to those images. Right. Because yeah. if, if you can edit a really great edit with eight images, yeah. you can do it with 24. And the mistake is people try to do it with 24 and 30 and they pad it and they try to demonstrate that they're technically savvy or they duplicate stuff and right. they water down any impact that their photographs could have. Yeah. And because they're insecure or they're trying to predict how the other person's going to react or respond to it, they make a portfolio that oftentimes mediocre or isn't as representative of their strengths as they could be. Right. Yeah. So I find that, that, that exercise and winnowing it down to eight. Yeah. Does it. Yeah. You can do an eight, which is really, it's hard, but easier than people might think that right. if you can do it, an eight, that's remarkable. You could walk into someone's you yeah. know, office, give them those eight images and they go, where can I see more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did a similar thing. I think when we did the the black blue sync workshop, the it, uh, we went out and shot for a day. Then we were talking about you were you were helping us all edit down, but it was all about narrative. That was it was yeah. so you could you could pick a, a handful of images that you'd shot the previous day that all felt good, but you'd have to throw away some of your darlings to be able to keep them telling a story. You know, there was things that fell outside of the the lines of that story. So they, they had to be culled. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's as long as you have a sense of some idea, I mean, it doesn't have to be right. No. Cause you can always like, for example, you can always change those individual words I mentioned. Yes. And then you change one word and the whole edit changes. But I think it's, it's giving yourself permission to think of go, what am I, it, it gives you permission to try and explore and try to figure out what you're doing. Because right. you can build up a body of work and never have any idea of why you're making the photographs you're making. And until you go through this process of editing it, that's the only way you can really discover it. Yeah. But once you do, it informs not only the images that you created, but it ends up informing the images that you go out and make. Right. And you end up being more selective. You're more thoughtful in right. terms of the images that you make. And that's and that's something that I think happens with all the photographers that, that I, I interview, yeah. with, at least with a great many of them, is that that's part of their process. They yeah. may not describe it the way that we just sort of identified it. Yeah. But I think that's, that's one of the reasons why their work is consistent, that you can take a look at their work that regardless of what they're shooting, there's a, for lack of a better word, a style or, yeah. or, or more importantly, a sensibility that's happening with them. And I think it's because they sort of identified that they look at their work and it informs what they do next rather than just going, Oh, I learned this technique. I bought this product. Let me make a picture that looks different than what I did before. And that becomes the definition of whether or not I'm improving. Right. Yeah. And then you get lost. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, they've learned all the basics. They've learned the technical stuff. And the next question is they, they're always like, I want my own style. That seems to be a hard question to answer when they, they're, they're asking you, how do you 
get your like signature style and if they are pursuing that actively it sometimes seems like an affect rather than a right. genuine thing and also as you were talking about the the themes that you find in your own work as well i i have i remember getting to a point where i i felt like i wasn't shooting any that anything consistently but when you go back through your work certainly by editing it by looking at like a picture editor you, you start to see themes occurring that you didn't realize that was subconscious the inability to edit one's work is probably the biggest failing of a lot of good potentially great photographers yeah there's work that i see sometimes where i just go really good really good and then eh. and and i think it's it's the fact that they're unable to recognize the stuff that they're doing really well that they need to return to, that they need to spend more time with, and instead of wasting time right. meandering, yeah, and it's because they don't know they don't know what they're pursuing and they don't know how to identify it, and it's something that's just frankly not taught. Right, no one teaches you how to do that. They teach you how to use the camera, they teach you how you use photo, how to use Photoshop, they teach you how to print the images, but they no one talks to you about looking at yourself, looking at your work and trying to figure out what you're doing. Right. You're a slave to someone else saying, this is good work. You should keep doing this, but you have no way of being able to say for yourself to express why you're doing it. Right. I mean, the people who do this more commonly are people with MFAs and PhDs who, you know, use this verbiage that, you know, right. 90% of the people can't understand. And people think, well, that's the way that you have to end up defining yourself. Yeah. And if I can't do this, then I can't. And I think that's absolute bullcrap. Right. You still have to be able to understand what you're doing and being able to verbalize it and put it on paper and be able to it to have it inform what you're doing yeah. and the editing in the editing process. And if you don't have that, you can make pictures until the cows come home, but the underlying style and the sensibility that's in all that pile of photographs yeah. is never gonna rise to the to the fore. Right. And I know that there's Amidst all the images that are already on my computer, there's a good, if not great, photographer in there. Yeah. You know, maybe not in par with some of the people that I interview, but I know it's there. But until I sit down and start going through this work and refining it, that I won't discover it. And I get glimpses of that sometimes. Yeah. But I know that if I, you know, if I did it more frequently than I do, I'd be able to measure my progress. I'd be able to make more insightful choices in terms of how, when, and why I photograph. Right. And I, and the challenge for me is like putting all this other stuff aside and committing more time to that and doing it so that when I go out and shoot, there's a reason why I'm going, okay, today's the day that I'm going to go out and make images that speak to this thing that I'm chasing after. Right. But because I know what it is. Yeah. There's an informed impetus behind it right. as opposed to, oh, I just want to go out today and shoot and take, make some pictures and yeah. make some photographs. And I think that that is not providing me enough impetus to put all these other things aside. Right. And that until I, I am much more informed in terms of what I want from yeah. my photography and what I want from this hour that I'm going to spend, then I'm not going to have the drive, the energy to go out and do it. No. You mentioned the other day a brave idea you had, which was to just start a new catalog and just... Yeah. Is that something you're really going to do? I'm really going to do it. 
Yeah, uh, what I was talking to Martin about was the fact that I was going to – my Lightroom catalog consists of all my images that I've taken yeah. since I've shot digitally and that I was going to start a new catalog and not even look at those old images anymore and just start fresh. And that from now on, if I'm doing an article or if I'm writing a book and I need images for it, if I got something, it's going to have to be images that I created from this new catalog that I'm going to create in Lightroom. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to that. Okay. And it makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. But I think that's that's one of the limitations that I need to put on myself to get me out there and yeah. to shoot and to make these new pictures and. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but it's like with any new thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm always going to feel nervous, but yeah, I feel like that's, that's one thing I can, I can commit to and, and see what happens. And I'm kind of curious as, as a result of yeah. the choices that I'm going to make. Cause I think that I'm not going to be shooting in the way that I have in the past. I think I'm going to be a lot more thoughtful in terms of not only what I photograph, but how many photographs I make. Yeah. Yes. There are tens of thousands of photographs in that, in that catalog <laughs> right now, which are not worth the space of my hard drive. And it's like, okay, I don't want to make that same mistake again. Yeah. It's hard to let them go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moving a slightly different direction. A lot of the photographers you've talked to over the years, they've had successes in a time when photographers were, there was room for a photographer just to be, only a photographer. So he wasn't the picture editor. She wasn't the picture editor. They weren't expected to make video while they were out there. They had staff positions. They knew where the next job was coming from. The times have changed. We hear, you know, I have friends who are journalists who are struggling these days and mm -hmm. uh, photographers who are working hard just to pay the bills. Is there room, do you think, still for just a Someone who wants to be dedicated to still photography? I think it's two different questions. I think one of them is can I, is it still possible to go out there and make a living as a photographer? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think it's still possible. Is it difficult? Is it a challenge? Yes. But is it possible? Absolutely. But I think the other question is can I go out there and can I make a life? out of the photography that I love to do. Yeah. And I think it's two separate, right. two separate questions. And I think sometimes they get mixed up with each other in terms of the former. Uh, yeah. I think that depending on what kind of photography you want to do, if you say you're a portrait photographer, wedding photographer, along those sort of lines, commercial photographer. Yeah. yeah you can make, you can make a living at it, at it. And my biggest recommendation is take business classes. Yeah. Yes. Get, get savvy in terms of, getting clients about working with clients, working on projects, developing some sort of workflow. I mean, don't be so concerned with the, the photography end of it and be spending so much of your time trying to learn some Photoshop tricks. Cause in the end, if you can make a living yeah. uh, as a photographer, you can hire somebody to do your Photoshopping <laughs> for you, to do your invoicing, to do your you know accounting for you. Your marketing. All that <laughs> stuff. I mean, if that's the way, if you want to make photography your business, yeah, you can absolutely do that. Yeah, um, but if if, the, if the, your real question is how can I do what I love to do, then the the question is, do you really want to be in the business of photography, or do you really just want to go out and make the photography that you right. want? And if it's that, then for me, it's like, okay, how can you make that happen for you today, doing what you're already doing? Yeah, 
Because if you say you have a job and you don't like the job that you're particularly at, but you want to be creative, it's like, okay, how can you make time in your life to be creative now? Right. To make the work that you love to do now. Right. And what, what I think happens in the people who make the choice to not allow their current circumstances to keep them from going out and making the work. Yeah. They go out there, they make the work, they make the images and somehow the universe ends up witnessing that right. and sees that and opportunities come up that allows them to do what they love to do. Miss Aniela, who yeah. I, we interviewed here, yeah. Noah Stevens, yeah. um, and several other photographers, each were creating work that was driven by what they wanted to create. Noah Stevens was already, already working somewhere. Yeah, He had a job and he went out during lunch and made a series of portraits of people using nothing more than a 5D Mark II and a 50 millimeter lens. Yeah. And as a result of him putting his work out there on Flickr and on his blog, opportunities happened and he got his first commercial gig as a result of people becoming aware of, of his work. And now he's doing, he had, I think he recently had an exhibition of his work, but he's a perfect example. Right. He didn't have to wait until he got another job. Or, or or some other opportunity presented himself for him to go out and made, make his work. He just said, this is something I wanted to do. I'm passionate about Detroit. I love Detroit. I love the people about Detroit. And I want to create pictures that demonstrate what it means for me to live in the city with these people. Right. And he created an amazing body of work, which is very simple and straightforward, but that resonated with people. And people saw the value in it and opportunities presented itself. Right. And I think he and so many other people... Um, some who, who've I've interviewed, some who have not, made that choice. They didn't allow all these other excuses that so many of us make for not going out and shooting right. and putting the images out there. They did, and stuff happened. Right. And I don't think I'm 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 in fantasy land to think that if you make that choice, that something will happen. It may not end up resulting in a financial result. But I think there's something to be said for going out there, making the pictures that you want, sharing them, whether it be on Flickr, on your blog, you know, in an exhibit in a local gallery. But I think there's going to be a satisfaction that comes from right. making that choice and making that choice consistently, day to day, week to week, month to month, that's going to make up for the fact that the other aspects of your life may not be what you want at that time. It can ease the pain of whatever aggravation that you have. But then I think that eventually when you realize how easy it is to create that world for yourself, you're going to be hungry to pursue it more. I know it is for me. I mean, this show is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about sound recording. I knew nothing about podcasting. Right. <laughs> I just knew, man, I really want to do this. Yes. And I made it, I made it happen. And five years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah. And I've gotten to talk to some of my heroes. I, I've gotten opportunities that have resulted of, me doing this show that I never could have imagined. Right. The fact that I'm five years, you know, not working for somebody else and I'm working for myself. And a lot of it is revolving around what I do with the show is a testament that to me, that if I just pursue what I want to do, what I love to do will, will, you know, recede itself. It will, it will, it will, it will, Things will happen as a result. Right. It's it's inevitable. But if I don't do anything, if I just think about doing it and I'm just bitter and resentful and unhappy, yeah. 
nothing's going to happen. No, no, no. So, I think it's a great attitude. And talking about the show, you've interviewed so many photographers so far. Is there anyone that out there that you're like trying to pursue that you would love to? There's like, several people. <laughs> I'm, Mary Ellen Mark is one photographer yeah. that comes to mind, and that may happen this year. I mean, wow. I've got my fingers crossed that <laughs> I'll be lucky enough to interview her. Um, I'd love to interview Mark Seliger. Yeah. I really like his work. Uh, Andy Leibowitz would be an interesting right. person to yeah. to land. Uh, Bruce Davidson. Yeah. Elliot Erwitt. Uh, Sebastian Salgado. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of the people who I, I kind of grew up Looking, looking at their work, or people you know, during the seventies and eighties, uh, that's my time, and those are the photographers I really would like to to speak with because they they are part of my life map in right. terms of visually. Yeah, but they also end up inspiring me and informing a lot in terms of how I see photographs. And I, I have every confidence that uh, a lot of those people I'm going to have an opportunity to sit across from. Yeah, and and talk to. Yes. I think that. I, this is a great opportunity to thank all the people who have been listening to the show, yeah. who've donated money to the show, uh, and and have t- written about it the, on their blog. You are as much a part of what's happened over the last five years as anything I've done, or what Martin's, who's been absolutely invaluable to me over the last year. Um, you've really helped me to make the the leap to doing this thing weekly. So I, everybody should give a credit to Martin Taylor uh, for for helping. Uh, this show evolve as much as as it has over the last year. But um, yeah, it's not just who I want to interview. It's that I want this show to be everything I want from everything that I want for my life is what I want for everyone who's listening to the show to be able to, to find, find their way. Cause it's great that people, you know, write me and when they donate something and they write to me and tell me what the show means to them. Yeah. But what I really would love is to hear stories about people who say, you know, what I've heard from you and from I heard all these other photographers help me to make a different choice in terms of my life, right. that it changed my life, that I'm out there. For me, to hear stories like that make what I do on the show absolutely worth it because it reaffirms that what I'm doing is much more valuable than just being a diversion for 45 minutes during a commute. Right, yeah. Or that it helps – me to get people signed up for a workshop or to sell a book or right. to get, you know that's that's all well and good but to feel like that I did something that helped change somebody's life yeah yeah wow yeah you know that for me is the most gratifying thing that I can get from anything that I do because that gives me a perspective in terms of that my value as a human being is not to be measured by what I sell or what I make but my ability to be able to touch somebody else's life right. and make it better. And if I can do that off of a podcast, yeah. I'm good. I know that you worked on your your style, especially when you're like you're going to be good face to face with somebody that you're in awe of. How do you prepare yourself when you go into that? I do read or you know, look at the work, read their websites if they've been interviewed before. I always like going through the previous interviews because I want to avoid the questions that they've been asked a thousand times. I may have a couple of questions on a on a sheet, but I rarely refer to them unless there's like I'm getting stuck or I'm right. so I have I'm something have something to fall back on. But I think what what ultimately is any skill that I have as an interviewer is just the fact that I listen. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that I'm, I'm listening. I get asked my question. I asked my first question. And after that, I'm just listening to what they're saying. And usually what they're saying rings a bell in my head and either I follow it up or it allows me to take a certain tack in terms of where I want to go with the, with the conversation. So it's, it's informed largely by my listening, but my own curiosity in terms of, well, tell me about this. Tell me about this and why. And you know, they're, Studs Terkel yeah. uh, is one of my heroes. I yeah. mean, he was just a wonderful interviewer. And I listened to Terry Gross yeah. and uh, Charlie Rose, uh, even William Shatner. Yeah. I've, I've watched him on his interview show. has a very unique and interesting approach to interviewing. So I listen to other shows yeah. and I watch other interviewers to see how what they do. And just like I look at other photographers to learn from how they do it, I look at these other interviewers and try to see about what what are they doing to help draw out their their subject. But I think ultimately what all these people do is that they're really adept listeners, they're right. active listeners. And that when you listen to somebody and you're sincerely listening to somebody, they know it. Yeah. And as a result, they become more trusting and more open to you. Most times, yeah, yes. you know, there are exceptions, yeah. there are exceptions to that, but I think that the fact that I don't ask the typical questions yeah. and that they, they immediately recognize that this is a different playing field right. than what they're usually accustomed to, yeah. that it relaxes them and they get to talk about themselves in a work, in their work in a way that they enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And that if, if we're having a conversation that's, and it's not an interview, then they're going to be more open. Right. Yeah. But if they feel like they're in an interview in which they're on the spot, in- they're concerned about whether or not they're going to say something right or wrong or yeah. anything like that. But when you're having a conversation, you just kind of laugh casually <laughs> and you don't, you know, you're not worried about that. So I guess we get to the final question. I hope you prepared your answer. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so if there was one photographer that you would recommend to your listeners, like someone you may have recently discovered or somebody you've always admired, who would it be and, and why? I was looking through your photo books, um, which you have an extensive collection of which I am very envious. <laughs> yeah, my answer to that is Zoe Strauss. She's a photographer from the East Coast in Philadelphia. And uh, she, you know, she's actually a, a, a really, considering the tone of our conversation, is sort of a perfect example. Yeah. She started photographing her neighborhood. And uh, I think at the time she was just using like a digital rebel. Yeah. And she was just going out there and making pictures of these people who lived in this community, which were the community in which she lived in. And portraits of people, some, you know, who were like drug addicts or, you know, People on the sort of the bottom rung Fringes. of the social, but also just families and friends and and just documenting the different bodegas and just her life, her world. Yeah. And she started having an exhibit of the work under these freeway overpasses and she would make these cheap copies of these prints and she would put them up on these posts because she wanted people who lived in the community to have an opportunity to see the very images she was creating. Cause I think she sort of was reacting to the fact that, you know, people come into these communities very often and they make these, these, these photographs right. and they end up in these museums that the very people who are photographed never end up seeing. Right. You know, you have these people eating cheeses and wines, looking <laughs> at these pictures and going, Oh, how marvelous they are. And, and she was sort of re- 
was the antithesis of that. And for years, I think she was doing it for 10 years. I don't know if she's still doing it, but she would do this. And then the images would be up. And at the end of the end of the day, people could be feel free to take them and, and, uh, and take them home. Well, that's and uh, it was, she's, she's a remarkable photographer. I contacted her early on and uh, we just weren't able to, to get together to interview her, but I need, I need to pursue her again and see if I can get her on the show because I think her work I think really speaks to not only a style of photography which I really love yeah but I just think her story is just a reminder of that you don't need permission right to go out and do it you don't need someone else saying that it's okay and that you don't need certain pieces of equipment and you don't need a certain level of skill. You don't need to have an education. All those excuses are just that they're excuses. Yeah. And I love photographers like, like Zoe Strauss that demonstrate that all you have to do is just make the choice to do it. And something, something wonderful can happen. It may not be, you may, you may, you may not be exhibited at the Whitney, right? But you'll have something that you can take away that you'll be very pleased, pleased and proud with. So, well, that's a great answer. And uh, on behalf of all your listeners, I'd like to thank you so much for all your effort and all the time and just dedication you've put in and love you've put into this show. Well, thanks, Martin. Okay. I really appreciate it. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.